Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. So today, Pastor RJ is going to come and share on the church family. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all your smiling faces. And uh, you only have, what, another month to hear about football and then nothing after that? (laughs) How many know that as a community, we come together when people are celebrating and when people are grieving, when people are doing well and when people are struggling? And in the Simply Christianity series that we've been working through today, um, we're going to continue this conversation on the church family and I want to highlight a word in the Greek language, uh, koinonia, and it captures these concepts of fellowship and joint participation, sharing, communion, intimacy, or even social intercourse, or the exchange of ideas and and conversation. And and today when I'm talking about fellowship or church family or community, it's in this context here of this koinonia, this fellowship, this, oh, I snorted. That's awesome. Wow. I don't even do that when I laugh. (laughs) Anyway, it's in this context. So see, we're family. Koinonia is how Christ followers are supposed to live uh, in a community of agape, as we talked about a few weeks ago with each other. And uh, we just live uh, in the unity of the spirit. And, and that can be challenging at times because how many know um, some people like to argue? Some people are difficult to get along with. None of, none, of, none of you here at our church would ever argue with anyone. None of you are difficult to get along with. Uh, but, you know, for instance, I remember I was in, a, I was in Dallas at school sitting in an auditorium with, I don't know, 1,500 students. And a guy named uh, Dr. Hilton Sutton was teaching on eschatology. And he had his, you know, giant charts that he liked to teach from all the way across the platform. And, and when he was done, he opened it up for questions. And I, I, I was a little confused on something. And I, I wasn't really necessarily trying to be um, difficult. But I needed some clarification because he kept referring to the church in the masculine. And I'm like, can you give me a, a New Testament example of the church body being masculine, because Jesus is the head of the church, and we're the bride of Christ. And he rattled off something from Ephesians about Jesus and something else and something else, and I realized in that moment that Dr. Sutton was not interested in having a conversation with me about the Greek language he or she, because he already had made up his mind on what he believed. So I just handed the mic to my teacher, who took it rather firmly and went on to the next question. Um, My point is that night, um, if you were an astute student, you would have figured out what my question was aiming at. And uh, to give you full context, I was working at Nations Bank, and I would go to work for 11 till 7, and then I would go to school all day. And then 
um, I would go to the gym and I would cook dinner and study and read and do what I had to do. And sometime between six, seven, I would try to sleep till about nine or 9.30, then I'd get up and go to work. And, and, and in the middle of my sleep time, which was, I'm gonna say precious to me, there was this at my door. And I remember I woke up and I went to the door and I opened it and there was a guy standing at my door with a pile of books probably higher than his, he was. He said, are you RJ? I was like, I am. Well, I'm gonna set you straight. And I just looked at him and went, no, you're not. And I shut the door. I don't even know how the guy knocked with all those books. It was, anyway, knocking on the door. So I opened the door again. I said, hi, and your name is? And he told me his name. And he said, no, we really need to have a conversation about this because you're wrong. And, you, and I, listen, bro, I'm not having this conversation. And I shut the door again. Hi, we just met. I tell you what, I'm going to shut the door again. If you knock a fourth time, I'm going to call campus security and have you removed from my building. I love you. You know why I didn't want to argue with him? Because he made up his mind and he wasn't willing to sit down and have an open conversation to figure out, let's explore this together. I'm not going to argue. I, to this day, people want to argue on stuff, and I'm like, hey, I'm not going to argue with you on that. Well, then go to another church. I'm not going to argue with you on that. It's not worth arguing on some of these things that people like to argue on, especially not essential stuff. But to this day, I find it amazing and fascinating that when you disagree with someone on their point of view, some people have a really hard time with that. And they can't handle it. For me, it's a maturity issue. You can agree to disagree and still be friends. I mean, I have friends in the room that cheer for different football teams than I do. And you know, I said we're supposed to rejoice with people who rejoice and be sad with people who are sad. Listen, Dallas got destroyed by Green Bay a couple weeks ago, okay? So my friend was rejoicing and I was sad and he was sad for me, right? <laughs> He's shaking his head, no, he wasn't sad for me. But last night, his team lost to another team. San Fran beat up on Green Bay with a little help from the refs. And now he's sad, so I'm, I'm having empathy for my friend who's sad. <laughs> Can you feel the love? Group hug. I've mentioned this a few times, but just to make sure you all get this, when they redefine tolerance to disagreement equals hatred, there's a problem with that definition. If people are constantly going to argue with you, um, there's a challenge there, there's an immaturity there, and we have to learn to grow up. But you can say, I don't wanna argue with you about your opinion on this matter. It's not worth the energy to fight. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here foundationally? We're a family of believers and sometimes people just fight about everything. Now, there's things you need to fight about, don't get me wrong, but in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible tells us, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. 
So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part's honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So we are the body of Christ, all of us together. But how many know it doesn't matter which part of your body, you can take a very small part of your body like maybe your pinky toe. Okay. Now, have you ever, um, if you're like me, you might be light averse. So I don't turn on lights when I walk around a lot of times in the house. I just walk around in the dark. But when you walk around in the dark, inevitably, at some point, you're going to kick something. Have you ever kicked like a table or a chair or your bed with your pinky toe? How many of you, the language that comes out of your mouth is really holy when that happens? My kids, they ask my wife, why does dad say rats sometimes? Because it hurts. <laughs> and better that than something else. But nonetheless, the point is, as a body of believers, if you're struggling, we're all struggling. And if you're rejoicing, we're all rejoicing. And that's really hard to do because when you're struggling, you have a hard time with people that are rejoicing. Like the one friend who cheers for Baltimore and the other friend who cheers for Texas. One's going to be sad, the other's going to be happy. Or the people who are engaged and in the process of getting married, while next to them there's a couple who's in the process of breaking up for various reasons. Or the young lady who's giving birth to a first child and everyone's celebrating, and the person who just buried their parents. They're side by side in the room sometimes and it's difficult because you got one that's rejoicing and one that's grieving. But we're a family and that's part of learning to do life together. And it's hard to navigate that sometimes in the body of Christ. But being connected in the family or being connected in the local church enables you to become fruitful. Kim read earlier from Ephesians 4, and she talked about the gifts that were given to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Their job and responsibility is to equip who? The church, the body of Christ. And if they do their job well, then the work of the ministry gets done, and we come into unity, and we're mature, and we grow up, and we start acting like adults instead of like two-year-olds who didn't get their way. But none of you ever act like two-year-olds who never get their way when you don't get your way, or do you? I don't see a lot of hands going up on that one. I act like a two-year-old when I don't get my way. <laughs> it's okay. It even uses that in the context. Then we will no longer be immature like children, tossed and blown about by wind of new doctrine or teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth, and instead we speak the truth in love growing in every way more like Christ. Who's the head of the body? His church or the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. That means this. Look at the person next to you and say, I need you. Look at the person on the other side. I need you too. The truth is we need each other. And you know why we need each other? Because the only way you're gonna grow when your love walk is when you interact with the people sitting around you in this room. 
That's how we mature. That's how we grow in love. Friction, conflict, disagreement, conversation. These things produce growth. They produce maturity. I mean, how many of you look at the weights and your muscles just start getting firmer and larger? Don't you wish? I imagine myself working out and all of a sudden now I am stronger. Doesn't work like that. Why? Because you actually have to pick up the weights and exercise. And as you exercise, your muscles will start responding, but exercise can be painful. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not your great preaching. It's not your holy lifestyle. It's not all the things you do to look good. All the good works and the good deeds and the good ideas that you have in the community and the culture. None of those things are what tell the world it's the love you have, the way you treat your fellow brothers and sisters in the room. That's how the world's gonna know that we're his disciples. And then in Philippians 2, the Bible goes on and it talks about is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Then he makes this statement, Philippians 2, 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Man, if we could just do verse three, Philippians 2, 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and think of others as better than yourself. We could change the world. But think about the conflict that you had in the last week in your own life, because you've probably all had conflict in the last week with someone. Was it related to you being selfish, wanting what you want? Was it related to you trying to look good or impress others? Was it related to your lack of humility? Or did you think of others better than yourself? Where did that conflict come? How much conflict do you get in when you prefer others? I picture <laughs> two guys with oversized egos want to go through the door at the same time but their shoulders are too wide for both of them to fit. So what do they do? They jostle each other through the door and one will shove the other one out of the way or bump the other one. But if you prefer one another, one holds the door open for the other and then there's no conflict. We do this on the roads too. Like right over there when people ignore the yield sign. If you follow the rules of traffic, then traffic flows smoothly normally. It's when people don't follow the rules of traffic that we run into problems a lot of times, right? I guess it depends on if you're the rule follower or the rule breaker, right? <laughs> Andrew Murray talks a lot about prayer. Our love to God is measured by everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. When you're connected in a local church family, you get equipped. Now, it's not by accident that at the end of each service, someone comes up to do the benediction and they close with a statement that says, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped, now go. 
Because the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, the people that are standing on the platform delivering the message, they're giving you the tools, they're equipping you to go do the work of the ministry. So you've been equipped. Now, your assignment, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you go out into the world and you represent the church. You represent Christ. And you take his kingdom to people. And when you're praying for the sick, you're expanding the kingdom. When you're casting out the devil, when you're sharing the good news, when you're bringing hope to someone, you're expanding the kingdom. When you're doing good deeds, you're expanding the kingdom. You're representing Christ in the community. Now, 1 John 3, 16 to 18, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, how many of you love John because he just told you that? Jesus gave up his life for us so we should give up our life for others. That means you need to give up your life for the people sitting in this room. How willing are you to do that? If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Acts 4 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. And I want to point something out to you here, because if you keep reading in chapter 5, they ran into a problem with this. And it comes down to motive. See, the early church, they understood something. Everything you have belongs to Christ. All your possessions are his. He gives them to you, right? He gives you the ability to work. He gives you the ability to earn. He gives you finance. He gives you money. He gives you tools so that you can do the things that he's called you to do. It all belongs to him. So when he assigns you, give to the poor or bless this person or do this, you're just being obedient to what God has told you to do with his stuff that he's given you or lent you. Now, he's a you're a steward of it. Now, now, what happens is, if you read on to Acts 5, you see the story about Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, and they had land, and everyone was selling their land, and God was getting glory, and there was no poor people because it was all getting, all the needs were being met, the food, the clothing, the shelter needs not the Ferraris and vacations to Turk and Caicos or whatever, crazy places, okay? All the needs were met. But Ananias and Sapphira, they had a motive issue because they sold some land and they could have said, here is some of the money from the land. God bless you. They could have done that. That's what they should have done. But instead, they wanted to look like they were giving all of the money to the kingdom. So they presented something that wasn't real. It was a lie. And they held back a portion of it and cost them both their life because they lied to God. You can lie to me. You can lie to your spouse. You can lie to your neighbor. You can lie to your friends. You cannot lie to God. What's your motive? Why do you do what you do? Are we doing it to please God? Or are we doing it to please man and look good? They were doing it to look good. Didn't work out so good for them. 
Romans 12, nine. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight honoring each other. Never be lazy. Don't wanna hear that word. (laughs) But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You know, the Bible in another place talks about if a man refuses to work because they're lazy, break their plate. Don't feed them. That's some harsh words from our Bible, but the truth is God created all of us to work hard and to contribute. And if you're willing to contribute and you show up every day and you try to contribute and you're serving God, see, when you work for someone, you serve them like you serve the Lord with the same attitude and God will bless you for it. But so many times we look at the fallen sinful human that we serve and we make excuses why we don't have to serve them like we would serve God. And then we don't get the blessing and the result that we want. I'll use this as a, as a picture. When I was back at that bank, Nations Bank, I was kind of new there. And at 115 to 130 or whatever it was, or, or, or four to 415, they would give us a 15 minute break. So I would leave my station where I was doing banking stuff, processing checks for 15 minutes, and then I would be back at my station at the time that the break ended. And this went on for quite a while, actually. And then one time, my boss, my manager, um, who ran the shift, um, his um, dominoes, they call it bones, uh, partner didn't show up for work that day. They called in sick or they were away or something. So he looked at me and said, here, Richard, (laughs) you ever play bones? I said, "Uh, sir, I played once. Now, dominoes is a math game. I kind of like math. I'm from the generation that knows how to do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division in our our mind. We don't need a calculator to do 12 times 12. Yeah. Okay, so it's a math game. It was easy. Um, We uh, wiped the floor with the other team. My, my manager didn't win very much, um, so he was really happy to have me as a partner that day. Um, but my 15-minute break was done, so I got up to go back to work, and I remember said, you need to sit down. And I was like, yes, sir. Did I do something wrong? No, he goes, but here's the rule when I'm the manager. When I get up and go back to work, everybody gets up and goes back to work. You don't have to go back to work until I tell you to. Hey, if that's the, then that's what I'll do. I met my obligation according to what the expectation that my employer had placed on me. My point is this, okay? I serve Jesus and I serve my manager with the same attitude, okay? Now, some of you, this is, this is not something you wanna hear because you don't like your manager. You don't like your boss. But the truth is, that will determine the outcome in your life, that attitude. Don't be lazy, work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And here's another one. Because way back when I was first starting to work as a petroleum byproduct waste transfer technician, <laughs> would you like me to fill it up and check your oil and clean your windshield? Um, there was times when we had no customers, but I made sure that the floor was glowing in the dark. I 
painted the islands. I took the pumps apart and cleaned the glass. Our bathroom was spotless. The stock in the inventory was accounted for and organized well. I maximized my time for my employer. And I got promotion after promotion after promotion after promotion to the point that I was able to have an honest conversation with my owner manager and say, you're probably not a good person to interact with the clientele, so why don't you just hire someone else to do it, sir, with respect. Because he would just tell people to go away. He was a, he was a little bit of a hard um, man <laughs> who had a rough life in the military and people were not his thing. In, in, in customer service, that's not good. Uh, but my point is this, when you serve wherever you're at as if you're serving Jesus, it will change the way that you view things as well. Your attitude, your actions, your responses, because how would I react if Jesus is the one who gave me that instruction, right? As long as they're not asking you to do something illegal, okay. Don't be lazy, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. That means trouble's gonna come and you gotta keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. So when someone shows up at your house, and I tell my kids this all the time, would you like something to drink? Can I get you a coffee, a tea? Would you like a glass of water? Would you like a can of bubbly or whatever, Waterloo or whatever we're serving that day? You know, um, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And that can be hard when people are giving you a hard time. How many of you know that? When someone's having a bad day and they go off on you <laughs> and it's not going good. I was at another bank a few years later <laughs> and I had um, done something that was pretty standard to me, but apparently it wasn't very standard to the person who was the acting manager that day. And she yelled at me, um, for eight minutes with a lot of words I don't use in front of 220 people. And she was yelling so much and throwing such a hissy fit that someone from another area that was high up had to grab me and pull me over into their area. Um, but you know what? Um, through all the meetings and stuff, I didn't speak evil against her for that because I tried to put myself in her position and she was not happy with what I did, which wasn't wrong, by the way. But um, anyway, um, I saved the bank a couple million dollars um, and she wasn't happy about that because <laughs> I didn't ask her permission. Uh, but, but the point that I'm trying to communicate is how I handled that helped me by blessing her, eventually she became my friend, not my enemy, okay? Because I gave her a way out. Do you hear what I just said? I gave her a way out. I, I, I didn't bury her when I could have. And as a result, I got a very prestigious account, State of Michigan tax. She got some coaching and kept her integrity intact and everybody was happy. But see, don't, Curse people, pray that God will bless them. That's hard to do. Be happy with those that are happy. Weep with those who weep. I talked about that. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Because I assure you, there is more information you do not have than there is information that you do have. At any given moment. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way everyone can see you're honorable and do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. 
do what you can to live at peace. You're not gonna be able to live at peace with everyone, but do what you can to live at peace with people. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. You know, (laughs) people don't understand this concept that God will repay. And they feel like they wanna take matters into their own hands and they usually make a bigger mess. I see Pastor Dale and Kelly are over here and they work with marriages a lot of times and stuff like that. But there's a verse that I read one time. I've read it many times, but. And it says, in RJ's paraphrase, don't mess with another man's wife because I, God, will personally repay you if you do so. Yeah, I'm good. Not gonna do that ever. I don't even want that thought to cross my mind. You know why? Because I don't want God to personally repay me for messing with someone else's covenant partner. So yes, I have a holy reverential fear of my creator and I do not wanna go down that road and I will not with everything within me. I'll run the other way first. And I try to live that way to the best of my ability. Some of you need to get that same fear of God. Because what you've done is in your past, you've broken that covenant and man has tried to repay you and they've gotten in the way and interfered with God. And see, it's just like with unforgiveness. As long as you're holding unforgiveness against someone, you haven't released to God the right to judge the situation because you think you're doing a better job than him. I would suggest to you that God can do a better job ruling the universe than we can. Just a, just a side note there. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So we as a church family, this is Romans. Paul's telling us, this is how we're supposed to live as Christians. This is how we develop our love walk. This is how we serve and work alongside others. These are the concepts that we have to apply to our life practically day in, day out, even when it's hard and it seems impossible or because you don't want to or feel like it. But see, when you're connected in a church family, there's a safety and a protection element. Hebrews 10 in the Amplified Bible tells us, it says, Let us approach God with a true and sincere heart and unqualified assurance of faith. Having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. So there's a couple things here. We're supposed to meet together and assemble together as a local body of believers more and more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. How many know today we're closer to the day of Christ's return than we were yesterday? Which means more. But it says as the habit of some, you know why it says the habit of some? Church attendance in Canada as a whole, all churches, not just our church, we do better than the average, 
is about once a month. The average person goes to church one time every month. So they assemble with a local body of believers one time every four weeks. It's a little bit greater than that, but it's, it's about that. That's a really sad statistic, okay? Weekly gathering, I don't even think that's enough anymore. We should be gathering as often as we can with the body of Christ. Well, I'm busy. I've got this going on. I've got, uh, hey, I don't care what you got going on. I'm busy too. We all got stuff going on, but you make time for what's most important to you. Did you hear me say that? Because I assure you, some of you right now, you're too busy to go to the prayer meeting, but man, if someone just said, hey, I got tickets for the game today, yeah, I'd rearrange my life to be there. Because we make time for what's important to us. And for some of you, your football is more important than your relationship with Christ. And you are evidencing that by the way that you live. I like football too, but it will never take the place of Christ in my life. It better not. See, in the church family, you can get, sorry, without the church family, you can get lonely. It's a lonely journey. You know, Neil Anderson, aloneness can lead to loneliness. God's preventative for loneliness is intimacy, meaning open sharing relationships with one another, koinonia. In Christ, we have capacity for fulfilling the sense of belonging, which comes from intimate fellowship with God and other believers. He Rick Warren, he usually, he, God, usually prefers to work through people rather than perform miracles so that we will depend on each other for fellowship. There's an accountability there. There's a, there's a thing there. Um, James and uh, Mike, actually, James and Jay, can you guys come up for me just for a minute? You don't have to say anything. I just need you up here. Proverbs 27, six, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I just need you guys to stand here facing that way, here and here. Now watch, if I'm walking towards Jesus and I'm looking at Jesus, I'm gonna stay eyes on Christ. I'm gonna walk down the straight and the narrow. I'm looking at Jesus, I'm doing good. But the moment that I get my eyes off Jesus, man, I can start following my own feet. I can get really into some crazy stuff. When you're in a church community and you have your brothers walking alongside with you, So if I'm walking with Jesus and I'm looking at Jesus, but if I get off Jesus and I start trying to get off, look, am I getting off, am I getting off course right now? Thank you. <laughs> Did I get off course when they were walking alongside me? <laughs> Not a chance. They're both bigger than me. Thanks, guys. You can sit. See, my brothers kept me accountable so that I stayed on the pathway of righteousness and I didn't get off track. We need each other to do that. That's why it says wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. It's better to have a friend call you out on your stuff and say, hey, you're not doing so good there and move back into righteousness than it is to have someone tell you, hey, you're doing great as you fall off the cliff or the wagon or whatever it is you're gonna fall off of, okay? But there's lots of relationship opportunities in a local body of believers, so I wanted to highlight a couple things right here. Wednesday nights, you know, what a great opportunity for activation, connection, faith building, uh, community. Usually, okay, I'm gonna start with this. This Wednesday, we don't have a service. There's a 
private invitation only function that has nothing to do with anyone that's not invited. But there's, there's nothing happening in the building Wednesday, so don't come unless you're one of those people that is going to that private function. Now, the point is, normally on Wednesday nights though, the first Wednesday of the month, we do a Holy Spirit night. And the Holy Spirit night is an activation night where the teams kind of come and listen to the Holy Spirit and there's no set agenda for that night because we want the Holy Spirit and his gifts to start flowing and operating. We want people to get prayed for and people to get encouraged and words come forth and challenge from the scripture comes forth and the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit, we want to give some time for the Holy Spirit to kind of operate as the Holy Spirit wants to operate. So we do that once a month on a Wednesday night. The second Wednesday night of each month, we have a prayer service and you see Dave and Carolyn here and and they lead in the prayer ministry and they, they do a, a, a prayer service for all of us in the family and we pray together. And it's a great opportunity to come and start growing in faith in the area of prayer and joining faith with our brothers and sisters and praying together. And prayer meeting should be the best attended meeting that we have in our local church if we're really serious about winning our world. but I have other things to do, pastor. Yeah, so do I. But prayer meeting should be one of the most important things that you do. Now, culture night, the third Wednesday of each month, we set culture. We have conversations about how our church runs, how we operate, the things that we do, how we can get some tools to interact in the community. Love and chaos, they're gonna go through some conversations, how to love people in the midst of all the, like, we work through these things to set culture so that you understand and feel a part of kind of, hey, what's God doing here? And then the last Wednesday of the month, we do a night of worship and celebration and we just sing and we worship together and we lift up holy hands and, and together as a body, as a family, we lift up the name of Jesus. But you know, on Wednesdays, they have a junior high for the grades six, sevens and eights and what a key age for our young people to get connected with one another. Because I assure you, there's a lot of relationships out there that are gonna take them in a direction they don't need to go. So if we can put them together with some other kids that are pulling in the same direction and get some godly teaching and guidance and counsel, hey, why not? Let's do that. The youth group will never replace the parent's ability to disciple a child, just saying. But we do do a youth group on Fridays seven to 10 for teenagers to come together in community. We have a young adults group that meets, the 19 to 25s, they get together I think every other Friday night for community, for fellowship. You're gonna hear some more about this one in the near future. We're gonna start a group called Acts for persons 26 to 35, whether single or married, okay? We're gonna do some, we do connect groups where people get together and do Bible study and they, they, they talk about life and Christianity and they, and they mentor and disciple, okay? Uh, next week, you're gonna see Pastor David Chaka is gonna be ministering on healing prayer. He's one of our teachers that teaches in our classes and, and you know, he does the healing prayer and then we have classes on boundaries and I, I think I talked about all things WCF earlier. They talked about that. Hey, if you wanna just kind of find out what's happening in the church, go to all things WCF and learn about it. I go there, I find out what's going on. That was a little bit of humor. I know, Brenda, I'm not funny. 
<laughs> she tells me in the staff meetings, I'm like, you're not funny. <laughs> um, so go to, go to all things WCF. Hey, next week, you know what? We also have, is anyone 55 plus? You don't have to raise your hands. We haven't had a group for 55 plus for a little while. So Pastor Larry and Jean, who did the benediction last week, they're gonna have an organizational meeting for that in our chapel. If you're 55 plus between services, so you're gonna have to come a little early 11 o'clock group, go down to our chapel and they're gonna have a meeting to talk about doing a monthly fellowship for people that are 55 plus. And talk about what that's gonna look like and cast some, why? So we can create community for all of you to kind of do life together so that when you're walking down the life, if you, for whatever reason, get your eyes off Jesus and end up in left field, you gotta be careful of that. And see, people say to me, well, I just need Jesus. No, you were made for community. You weren't made for isolation. Every single person that I have ever seen in my life that is disconnected from a body of believers has ended up in error or shipwrecked in their faith. Every single one. In fact, it's been about 10 years, but I assure you, the Judaism heresy will come around again because about every 10 years, there's no new heresies. They just kind of cycle through, okay? And people will go back to the Hebrew roots movement and they will start trying to uh, incorporate all of the feasts into their Christian worship. And you know what? If that's your thing, then do that. But we do live in the new covenant, not the old now. Jesus completed the old covenant. He fulfilled all of the regulations of it when he went to the cross and he tore the veil. There's things we can learn from it. There's things we can gain from it. But we are, as the most part, we are a Gentile congregation of believers. There's some Messianic Jews that worship with us. But we're not a Jewish congregation practicing the Jewish rules and practices here. But as soon as people start having conversations about, oh, I need the deeper revelation, uh, red flags start going up because most of the time they end up in deeper revelation, deeper something. Not usually biblical truth. But it starts with isolation and they start pulling away from the body and they start doing their own thing. See, you were made for community. You weren't made to be isolated and alone. And people that go out there alone, I mean, I, I, I tell my kids all the time to the point that it's annoying for them. When you're watching a movie and you've got the army with the hero and in TV, the hero runs out in front of the army and starts whacking down all the bad guys or the enemy. In real life, that guy is so dead because everyone in the enemy army aims all of their firepower at him and that guy dies in about 10 seconds. We work together, we pray together, we encourage one another together. It's arm in arm and hand in hand that we're the body of Christ. So a couple final thoughts here because I got a lot to say in no time. I read scripture that said, every one of you is a necessary part of the body of Christ. Either the ones of you that are not doing your part don't believe God's word to be true. 
you haven't had an opportunity to do your part yet, or God's lying when he says each of you is a necessary part. You have to determine which one it is. So if you want to call God a liar, good luck. Um, I'm just going to step away from you for a minute. (laughs) You might not have had an opportunity. But see, we have this saying, many hands make light work. If everybody does their part, the job gets done. And you say, well, I can't preach like you. Thank God. Maybe you can preach better than me. But the truth is, you don't have to. Now, I want to just kind of rehearse this for a moment. I did not start as Pastor RJ, lead pastor WCF. 41 years ago, oh my gosh, 41 years ago. In kids' church, when Marilyn and Margie were there, I started as a push, I mean an usher. And we kept order in kids' church. And man, we used to rent a building, so we had to set up the whole PA system. Guitar, bass, keyboard, drum. Like, we had to set it up and then tear it down every week. And we'd come in early and do that and sound check it. You guys got it easy now. You just have to come in and sound check it. I love you too. <laughs> but, but see, then from there, I joined the music team, and we did outreach and we did prison ministry and we led people in worship and I served in kids church man kids church was challenging but it was awesome because those 9 10 11 and 12 year olds that every Saturday Sunday night I had to go and have a class for I had to have something to say it forced me to sit down and prepare something so that I had something to say to those kids when I showed up each week and we had some wild times in that classroom let me tell you but see, then I was, I was working in another bank over in Michigan, and, and, and I remember working midnights, and then I would come to the church, and I would serve in the daytime three or four times a week as much as I could, because I was single, and I had the time, and I just wanted to build the kingdom. And I went off to school, and I traveled, and, and I served, and, and, but see, it was a process where I just grew in faith. The truth is, I've washed windows, I've cleaned floors, I've cleaned toilets, I've mopped floors, I've swept floors. I still do. That stuff still has to happen. Someone's gotta come in and vacuum, someone's gotta mop the floor, someone's gotta clean. Has to happen. That part of the body that's doing that is no less necessary than the person who's standing here delivering the message or the person who's singing. No less necessary. We all get the same reward. You say, I can vacuum the floor and get the same reward you do? Yep, you can. Because if that's what God has called you to do or told you to do, then do it and do it with joy. And do it until he changes his assignment on your life, not until you feel like I wanna do something else. But see, you serve. Now, I'm gonna comment on this just for a minute because I'm rapidly running out of my time. When you wanna serve alongside us, in a body believers, we have a pathway that we have created that we have asked people to walk down. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, I think if you're gonna represent us on one of our serving teams, it would be good for you to know what we stand for and what we're about. Well, aren't we all Christians? Yep, we are. 
But if you don't understand identity and maturity and mission, the three foundational things that are based on the great commandment and the great commission that we kind of base everything that we do on, you might be pulling in a very different direction than we're pulling as a church body. And if everybody's walking this way and you're walking this way, there's a problem. That's not unity. So we align people. We align people through all things WCF. We align people through D2LO. That is the course. That course, as people have told me, that has changed my life, that course. Why? Because all we do is people stand up and they encourage you in the mission and vision of our church and the direction that we're gonna go and this is how we operate. I'm reading to you, this is how Christians operate, but there's some of you that you're not pulling alongside with us. You think you are, but you're, you're doing your own thing. So there's an aligning that takes place. We vet people. How dare you? Listen, in the world we live in today, how many know there's some really dangerous people out there? And, and we have children here in this building. And I don't want something to happen to a child that I could have prevented by simply doing a background check. So we do police checks. When you come to serve with us, we say, hey, go get a police check. And when you hand it in, it doesn't mean it necessarily disqualifies you. There's a couple things to do, I'll get to that. But like, if you've got a rap sheet as long as my arm for armed robbery and break and enter and theft, no problem. You can serve here. We're just not gonna put you on the offering plate. And you say, but Jesus set me free. You're right, he did, and I believe you. And I have every confidence that nothing's gonna happen. But if someone else knows your track record from your past life, they could set you up for something. And, and, and we don't wanna put you in that situation where someone can make an accusation based on something where it was a weakness in your past. There's a protection. Now, I will talk about crimes against children. If you have crimes against children, especially sex crimes against children, you're probably gonna be supervised for your participation within WCF for the rest of your life. If you have multiple crimes against children, we may ask you not to attend, okay? We have to protect our children and people make choices every day. So be careful what you hear or what you listen to or gossip, especially on these matters. I've been doing this a long time and never once have I just walked in and said, no, you can't come here. There's always conversation, there's always pathway, there's always process. So I'll give you a for instance. There was a man who came in who had just got out of jail for raping a two-year-old. And I said, you know, sir, I believe Jesus set you free. But when you come in those doors, and these are the only doors you're allowed to come in, I want you to be escorted by one of these four safe people that we've mutually agreed upon. So the only way you're coming onto this property is if you have one of these four safe people with you. And by the way, you're only allowed to use that restroom. I don't wanna see you anywhere past these doorways right here in the building. You have no business going into the kids' church zone. How many say that's a reasonable boundary? Okay. Two weeks later, I found him in the playground. You lost? 
no, I'm looking for, no, that's not. And I reset all of the boundaries. And then a week later, I found him down the hall by the kids' bathrooms. At that point, you know what I said? Sadly, you're not welcome here. See, in every family, there's boundaries, rules, relationships. You can't just come in and start swearing at people in the middle of a service. It's a public assembly. It's actually against the law to interrupt a public assembly in Canada. So you want to come in and start swearing at me while I'm talking? Guess what? I'm going to have the ushers carry you out. (laughs) You want to do that a few times? I'm going to tell you not to come here no more. Okay, The, the point that I'm trying to get to is We don't do this very often, but we do that to protect our body of believers because I don't want dangerous people here preying on our children or at-risk adults. Okay, All of us are in process. All of us are sinners. All of us have our issues, but there are some things that are just not acceptable in community. But I'm telling you, every time we have a conversation, there is process, there is conversation, there is encouragement, there is warning. If over a period of time people are not complying and we feel that they're a risk to the congregation, then we have to make the decision that's best for the congregation. But you're not gonna know the details of that because it's none of your business. So like I said, be slow to believe all the gossip. Okay. There's a protection and a covering in the church family, but we do this because why? Because we're the body of Christ. So when we ask you to fill out your police clearance or we ask you to take D2LO, just say, thank you, I will gladly do that because I wanna be a member of the family that contributes and I wanna prove myself to be trustworthy and to be faithful. Well, I attend all the time, that's nice. I appreciate that you come, I do. And I'm not trying to discredit that. But if you wanna serve alongside us and build the kingdom together, there's a pathway. Let's follow the pathway together. Okay. Anywhere you go to serve, there's a pathway for you to get onboarded. You go to work, what do they do? They do orientation for you and training for you, sometimes at your own cost. Why? Because they want to make sure that you adhere to the values of the place that you're going to work. It's the same in any church family, any church body. We want you to adhere to the values that we commit to from the scriptures. Stand up with me. First John 1, 7, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Father, as we come to the table today, I thank you that we can do so with clean hands and a pure heart. That we have received the blood of Jesus to forgive us and we've released forgiveness towards others. God, we don't wanna get in your way of dealing with sin. We don't wanna get in your way of dealing with people. You deal with the hearts of men and women as you desire to do so. You're much better at it than I am, God. So Father, as we come to the table, I thank you that we as a family can commit to love one another, to serve one another, 
to pray for one another, to bless one another. Lord, that we're gonna carry the weight that you've asked us to carry within the local church family. And whatever it is that you tell us to do, God, I thank you that we can be obedient, not putting our desires before your desires and asking you to bless that, but putting your desires first and asking you to help our hearts conform to your will and your wishes and your ways. So this day, as we have the bread in our hand, Lord, I thank you that you heal people all over this room. Hearts, minds, bodies, restore to you health and let your life flow forth, God, at the table, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this community, this family, this church, Lord, the local body of believers that assemble together for encouragement and challenge and conviction. Lord, some are rejoicing today and some are weeping today. Help us to be sensitive to the needs of our brothers and sisters in this room. Help us, Lord, to put you first. Help us to serve others and not ourselves. Lord, I thank you for those that are carrying weight, that your grace is for them and you give them the strength and courage to keep carrying weight. And for those, Lord, that haven't stepped into their role, Lord, show them the pathway so that they can serve alongside us. And together, Lord, we can change our world. We can change our community for you. As we continue to lift up Jesus, he will draw all men to him. So release us from the curse of the law today. And thank you that your blood has liberated us from sin and shame power of hell. We break those things off of our life and our body today. In Jesus' name. That was a really good message. <laughs> it was. Thank you so much, Pastor RJ, and thank you, um, for making this a safe place for everybody. Um, you know, if, if we had to endure something really awful, we would recognize the importance of making this a safe place. And so I really appreciate that you do that. So this week I, I went into a room in our house and closed the door and just put on some quiet music and I just spent some time quiet before the Lord. That's not an easy thing for me to do. I usually do most of the talking. <laughs> but um, I really just endeavored just to sit in his presence, and I just asked him, you know, about church family. And, and he just, as Jesus often does, just posed a question back to me and said, what does church family mean to you? And when I think about this church family, a smile comes to my face because although we may have started out as just people going to church together, through connect groups, through volunteering and serving alongside one another, we've become friends and we've become family. Family, as some people like to say. <laughs> we've shared meals and laughs and celebrations together, but also tears and sorrow. You've prayed for me when I struggle and I pray for you when you struggle. We're there for one another through the good and through the bad. Sometimes we hurt each other through our words and our actions, 
but it's an opportunity to walk in forgiveness with one another. And as we go through that process, we mature and hopefully come to a place where we truly love and respect every member of this family. So this here, all of you, you are more, we are more than just people who attend the same church. We are community. We're family. You are my church family. Wanna get in trouble? Happy birthday. It was, it was yesterday, but I was told we're celebrating it all weekend. Really encouraged with RJ's talk about his boss chewing him out. Professionally, you put that in a back room, not in front of a bunch of people to embarrass them. And the way he handled it is the way we are supposed to handle it today when someone gets on your case. I want to encourage you to uh, look around the congregation. There's people whose face you see every week and you don't know them personally. Just go on up and introduce yourself and ask them their name, uh, finding out. The, the personality uh, touch by knowing somebody's name. We got a, got a brother over here that about two years ago, we were down the end of this aisle and he pulled out a card out of his back pocket and with it was a whole bunch of names. And he says, as he looks over the congregation, he'll go like uh, Dale and Yvette. And he, he was trying to memorize names to be more personal in the family of the body of Christ. So just try and reach out to somebody today and, and keep that in mind for the future weeks coming. We are a family. We should know each other on a more personal basis. If you run into somebody and they don't receive it very well, toughen up. Do like RJ said, did and just take it in and remind yourself that you have the Spirit of God within you. You should be able to handle that. Keep on pursuing it because we've known people that you had a hard time getting to know, and now they're best friends we hang out with. So, uh, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you've been more than equipped today. Go. Let's go. 